Greetings and welcome to another episode of NC Raw Podcast. This is a conversation that I was super excited to have. I'm all about sharing with you guys um, the latest research and the latest pathways and approaches to recovery and overall wellness. Uh, Before we get into it, though, I do want to thank and recognize the few patrons who have jumped aboard our Patreon page, which is live. Um, Patreon is a way that those of you who find value in this podcast can financially support us in achieving our long-term goals. And by doing so, you will receive exclusive content. I've been posting some um, behind-the-scenes videos as well as early access to every podcast. We post it up on Patreon 24 to 48 hours before we release it out to the general public. So it's a win-win for both of us. We have goals of opening our own recovery recording studio, a place where members of our community can gather um, for communal events and support each other throughout this process of recovery, as well as a a home for us to create uh, content for you guys and to continue to have these wonderful conversations with members members of our community. Um, you can do all that for as little as a dollar a month. You can, you can sign up um, on our page. It's patreon.com slash NC Raw. As little as a dollar a month, you can uh, become a patron and have access to all of that content. So uh, for those of you who have jumped on board, we are extremely grateful for the support and we look forward to working with you. You guys are going to be a part of this development of our recording studio, but we look forward to working with you on um, what this thing is going to look like. So today's guest is Miss Shannon Claire Carlin, who is the Associate Director of Training and Supervision at the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS. MAPS has been doing research on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy to treat PTSD, uh, something that was started, gosh, like 30 years ago and has gotten to the point where they're at phase three clinical trials. So Shannon was in town um, hosting a training session to train local therapists on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. It was an awesome conversation. I learned a lot from her. We talked about um, some of the published results, and we talked about the design of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and what one could expect if they were receiving this form of treatment. Um, She's a super intelligent person. I learned a lot from her. It was a ton of fun. I can't wait to see what the next step is in this process. So all that being said, give some love to Miss Shannon Claire Carlin. Living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible. Totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal. Used to be a criminal, living so minimal. But things have changed in my life is going through different intervals. Finding that balance is significantly difficult. Timing is everything, so my timing is critical. Rhyming is literal, the unforgettable. It's why you stand before you impeccably so presentable. I give respect to you, know that I am respectable. I've always wanted acceptance, 
that acceptable? I give the rival expected to be exceptional And I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional I am incredible, Leo conventional And you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. Shannon, Claire, Carlin. Welcome. Hello. Welcome to Asheville. Yay. Thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you. Finally. <laughs> nice to meet you. I am grateful that you uh, accepted my invitation to come on the podcast. I am fascinated by the work that MAPS is doing. And um, I was very surprised to see that you guys were coming here to Asheville. <laughs> it was not on my radar. I came here we ac- are. Here we are. I came across the Facebook event that's taking place Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, I, my mind was blown. I was like, I have to reach out to her and see if she would be interested. Um, to my surprise, you responded. So yeah. here we are. <laughs> um, so is this, is it your first time to Asheville? Have you been here? Second. Second? Yeah. You enjoying it? Yes. You brought the cold it. weather with you? Oh yeah. Blue Ridge Mountains. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, it's, de- I call it home. I, it's definitely home for good. So, um, what are you guys? What are you guys doing here? So you work for MAPS, mm-hmm. the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, mm-hmm. and what are you guys doing here in town this week? Yeah, so um, here we are at Ohm Sanctuary in Asheville, and we're doing the MDMA therapy training program, where we're training a little over fifty psychotherapists, social workers, and doctors on how to conduct MDMA-assisted psychotherapy in a MAPS protocol. Beautiful. Now, for those that might be tuning in that are unfamiliar with what the terms that you just disclosed, mm-hmm. MDMA assisted psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what is that? Yeah. Sometimes people are like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, we're doing training. Uh-huh. Oh, what kind of training are you doing? Pick- um, psychotherapy training. <laughs> oh, what kind of psychotherapy mm-hmm. training? Well, that's very interesting. <laughs> so yep. um, MAPS was founded in 1986. And over the course of the last three decades, um, at, after MDMA was made into a Schedule One drug by the DEA, which means basically it was made illegal, um, Rick Doblin, who founded MAPS, proceeded to put together some clinical trials, which is working within the FDA, the Food and Drug and Alcohol, um, the I'm sorry, Food and Drug Association, um, and working through their clinical research process to study if MDMA would have a potential benefit as an adjunct to psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress. Why? I'm curious as to how it all came to be. Um, Number one, why MDMA? And number two, how did, which way did it evolve? Was Mm it you were looking for, or he, they were looking for, um, did MDMA come first or did PTSD come first? Mm-hmm. I guess yeah, is what I'm trying question. to say. Like, which direction? Yeah. How did it come to life to, to yeah. m- kind of meet to where we are today yeah. with the research? Yeah. 
and different people who work in this field come to it from different angles. So some people come to it as trauma therapists. Um, I personally was trained as a psychotherapist before I got into psychedelic psychotherapy. Um, and other people come to it through psychedelics. But the way that MAPS was founded was as psychedelic medicines, psychedelic substances were becoming scheduled by the DEA over the course of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Um, some people had been using them before they had been made illicitly illegal substances and were using them to potential benefit. So in the 80s, people were using MDMA in couples therapy, actually. In California, a group of psychologists tested it on themselves and were reporting the anecdotal effects. And um, Sasha and Ann Shulgin, Sasha being a chemist, and their couple, um, and Sasha has since passed, but they wrote the books, books P-Call and T-Call, and wrote about their experiences with hundreds of different um, psychoactive substances and what their chemistry and what their effects are. And MDMA was one of those that, after psychologists had learned about this work through Sasha Shulgin and Leo Zeff, they realized that it had a potential benefit, especially in couples therapy. So kind of under the radar, they were using it in couples therapy before MDMA was made into an illegal substance. So once um, the scheduling happened in 1985, then some of those therapists gave up and they said, okay, you know, this is illegal. We can't do this anymore. Small portion of them went underground and said, this is part of my practice and this works for people and I can't ethically deny this to my clients at this point. Um, but Rick Doblin said there has to be a better way for us to make this legal and safe and, and have actually science behind the practice. So MAPS was founded particularly after this um, rescheduling with MDMA, but also it's called the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies because many psychedelic substances were being made illegal because of some of the recreational use without studying the potential therapeutic benefit. Mm -hmm. I, um, last year, came across, um, came across Michael Pollan's book, and I was, like, fascinated with the amount of research that had been done on psychedelics in the 60s, 50s, and 60s, and then just came to a screeching halt mm -hmm. for multiple decades mm -hmm. Um, and then now here we are. And then even like maps, like, um, start founded in 86, 85, mm -hmm. 86. Yeah. Like when people hear MDMA assisted psychotherapy, they're thinking that it's something that like, just like whoever decided like, Hey, let's check this stuff out. But you guys have been working on this for a yeah. number of decades. And so like the research was being done in the fifties and sixties on psychedelics came to a screeching halt with the drug war and things of that nature. Um, and then, you know, picked back up through maps. And then here we are, what, 30 years later, and you guys are going to going through um, phase three clinical trials yeah. to actually use this drug yeah. to treat PTSD. Yeah. How did you get involved in maps? <laughs> and what, what was it about what the work that they were doing that yeah. interested you? Yeah. Well, I feel honored to be a younger clinician um, in this day and to be able to be working with MAPS and many people, especially Rick, working for over 30 years now. And that takes a lot of patience and dedication. I feel really fortunate to step in after that process. 
Um, and to be at a point where this actually seems like a viable treatment, and there's research to back it up, and now we're thinking about, okay, how do we bring this to the world in a good way? So how I got into it was um, I had just finished a year of AmeriCorps in Santa Cruz, California, which is where the MAPS offices are located, and I was doing a service here working with adults with dual diagnosis, and I was kind of just practically looking for my next gig. I was about to start my master's program at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco in counseling psychology, so I knew I wanted to pursue becoming a psychotherapist. Um, I had previously studied cultural anthropology and massage therapy and nutrition, and so I liked working with people. I love working with people. And um, I really honestly looked on Craigslist. Wow. And looking back, it's such a serendipitous moment, and it was after applying to dozens of jobs um, and being in Santa Cruz and being another student looking for a job, um, that job really landed with me and reading the advertisement and reading and going to the interview. And, um, you know, I had known some about psychedelic work, but it wasn't my whole life before then. My life was really working with people. And so that's how I came into it. And um, I got the job as a receptionist and I was doing that while I was going and getting my master's degree. And even then, I wasn't really totally convinced that psycho psychedelic psychotherapy was what I would pursue as the pra my practice going forward. But as I was getting through my master's program and seeing how effective the research was and then, and then sitting in my master's classes and CIS is a very cutting edge school and actually has lots of classes on psychedelic therapies and research and now a program, a certificate program on it. Um, but by the time I graduated, I thought I really just want to do what's going to be most effective for my clients. And there I was at MAPS, and it was right in front of me. So based off of your acquired knowledge in the classroom and working at MAPS, you you kind of honed in on this type of medicine as being most beneficial. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And also kind of touching personally many of my interests of working with the body, working with nature and natural elements, um, working with things beyond what we can see with our eyes and, and each of us connecting in different ways around what that looks like for us and mm -hmm. really honoring that there's a goodness in each person, which is a central concept of this therapy um, and seeing how this medicine really gets people to that place. And yeah. that touched me. Um, so you're here in Asheville to do a training session. You're training therapists mm -hmm. on the actual MDMA assisted psychotherapy mm -hmm. on yeah. that process. Yeah. Um, why Asheville? Yeah. So Asheville's a magical place in and of itself. <laughs> it <laughs> totally is. Man. Yeah. Um, at this point, MAPS has 12 um, study sites across the U.S., two in Canada, two in Israel, and more on the way in the European Union and South America. Um and so Charleston, South Carolina has actually been a location where the studies have been taking place for a very long time, led by Annie and Michael Mithoffer, and um, their grandchildren live in Asheville, and so they've recently moved down here to be with family, so that was one incentive for coming, and as we speak, they're downstairs leading um, the training session at the moment, and so there's that, but also we're really preparing for this next um, FDA program called Expanded Access, and that's going to allow us to support many, many more sites in going through the preparation and the training to become eligible to offer this treatment. And there are several local sites um, here at this training, um, including Hazelwood Family Medicine and Living Bridge um, 
collective. And so they're they're here and they've been in touch with this modality and the research for many years and and so to come and to be able to support the rest of their staff and getting training as well as others across the country. Super cool. How do how could somebody get involved if they're interested? If someone's living yeah. in the national market? Um, maps.org slash training, good landing page. We have our training email newsletter where we send updates. And also there's a portal on there people can connect to. We call it the Connect Portal. And it has um, not only general information about expanded access and the therapy training program, but it also has a section for therapy providers, doctors, and um, treatment facilities to go and link up with others in their area. So it's separated by region and state. And that allows people, if they don't already have a site, that they want to apply with to link up with somebody that connect. might. Beautiful. Um, let's talk a little bit about what leading up to these phase three clinical trials and what was some of the research, how did, you know, what was that process like? Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely, uh, from what I understand, was a very kind of long and drawn out process. Um, so like what, how did we get to where we are today? Yeah. Yeah, good question. So the FDA has a clinical drug development process, clinical research, and it goes through phases, as we've been mentioning. Um, Phase four are um, toxicology studies, so typically animal studies. Phase one is a healthy volunteer study, so it's giving a particular medicine or treatment to a healthy population just to observe the effect in humans. Phase two is kind of a proof of concept study. So that's when you start to use a particular investigational medicine or treatment for a particular condition, such as MDMA-assisted psychotherapy applied for post-traumatic stress. And then phase three, which is where we're entering now in the U.S., Canada, and Israel, is a larger version of phase two. It's where you have a larger sample size of people so that you can see across many people how is this working for different types of people, different subpopulations, um, and then we take all of that data together and we submit it to the FDA in a new drug application, which would potentially um, make this treatment into a legal prescription medicine. So that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> Clinical research is incredibly expensive. And that's um, where I was kind of going with that, is that <laughs> like seeing as MDMA was a Schedule One narcotic, mm-hmm. it's not you're not eligible for any type of federal grant or federal funding. Yeah. It's all private. Yeah. Yeah, at this point, all of the MDMA research that MAPS has conducted has been through private donations, people who just really believe in this mission and believe in good science. And so the first trial of MDMA in humans was in, I think the publication was 1996 by Charles Grobe. And so from 86, when MAPS was founded, to 96, Rick was moving and shaking (laughs) and working with politicians and lawyers and researchers and psychiatrists and trying to figure out how this program could work and doing fundraising all along the way. Um, The phase three trials alone cost nearly $30 million, which is a lot of money. But when you're talking about pharmaceutical research, actually big pharma companies spend way more than that. So to think that that many people have come forward to really support this work and that Rick and many others have facilitated all of that is pretty phenomenal. So what, what is the research showing? What kind of, what are you getting from it? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing results. So, um, three quarters of the participants no longer qualify as having a post-traumatic stress diagnosis. Go ahead and say that, say that one more time. Three quarters of participants, three out of four participants 
no longer qualify as even having post-traumatic stress disorder once they leave the study and we revisit them in the long-term follow-up. So people are coming off of many years or even decades of other treatments. They've been to psychotherapy, they've seen psychiatrists, they've been on antidepressants. And for some parts of the population, those treatments are effective. And for many others, it's not. And current medicine and psychotherapy practices haven't had a good solution for that population that doesn't respond. And we're finding that at least three out of four of them are getting really good and lasting responses in the study. That's stellar. What is the what is the process of MDMA psychotherapy? What can somebody expect if they were to receive this type of treatment? It's an intense process. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with any potential for healing comes a lot of hard work on the participant. And so we really commend people even for applying to the study and seeking out treatment. Um, we certainly commend people for working with us through the protocol and We try to support them in making it as easeful as possible. There's a pretty rigorous screening process where we make sure that a candidate is suitable for this modality and for the particular protocol. Research protocols in particular can be quite rigid because we have to adhere to the protocol by the book. And so after a period of screening, which involves psychological measures and collecting medical and psychiatric history, um, doing physical blood work and labs and going to a cardiologist, all of which is paid for by the MAPS as the study sponsor. Um, When somebody screens in as um, an eligible participant, then they begin the process of their therapy. And the therapy course takes about three to four months to complete, and it starts with three preparatory visits. All of the visits are conducted by a co-therapy pair, two therapists. And so the two therapists are giving their attention to this participant and The preparation period is really about understanding the participant's trauma and who they are as a person. What what are some of their inner resources and social resources in their life that can support them through this process? And what are some of the challenges that they've been facing around the trauma? Preparation is also a lot about talking about what to expect in the MDMA therapy sessions. People hear a lot in the media. Um, People have anxiety. It's normal to have anxiety to go into any therapy, and especially this therapy. And so we really give a lot of information about what might happen. Um, And then that first MDMA session happens, and it's an eight-hour therapy session. We usually start in the morning and go until about 6 p.m. And it's really... Eight hours, that's... Eight hours is a long time. Yeah, a lot can happen in eight hours. And, you know, sometimes it feels like a lot of time. I've been a therapist in some of our studies, and... Um, it sounds like a lot of time, but actually when you think about healing happening, eight hours is nothing. <laughs> Comparison to the suffering that you've experienced. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, even as a therapist, we're you know, sometimes taken by surprise at how quickly the healing can happen. And so over the course of the eight hours, we use music and we have you know, relaxing setting, kind of like a living room set up where a participant can either sit up or lie back. If they want to use eye shades to help them just focus and go inside, then there are periods of time where they do that. And it's a pretty organic process where people are, as we say, coming out and using words to describe their experience and process through things. And the therapists aren't guiding the session. They aren't, they don't have, we don't have a list of agenda There's items. There's no, f- no form, formal format to follow no. or you're not, no, no specific direction yeah. to take the session. It's yeah. more... 
we work with the concept of the inner healing intelligence, which was really um, brought into the world through Stan Groff and transpersonal psychology and many traditions before then of connecting to that internal source of wisdom and healing. And if we just take things out of the way so that that healing force can come through, then we can trust that healing force to guide the process. Why two therapists? Many different reasons. Eight hours is a long time. <laughs> so it's supporting each other in this effort. And um, it's not only just being in the room for eight hours, but it's actually being incredibly attuned and attentive for that entire period of time. And it's strenuous on any indiv- yeah, one single individual. Yeah, it's a yeah. lot of focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, if you want to take a lunch break or go to the bathroom, you really want to make sure that the the participant safety is our utmost concern, both I'm speaking as as a therapist and also as the director of the training program and also just on behalf of MAPS, that above anything else, the participant safety is our primary concern. So always having somebody in the room. And there's a lot to do in the session too. <laughs> sometimes there's nothing to do and sometimes there's a lot to do. We're taking vitals, we're managing the music, we're getting water, we're walking the participants to, to the bathroom door so that in case they're dizzy, they don't injure themselves. And there's a lot to tend to throughout that course of time, yeah. What is what is happening in the mind and body when the participant is consuming the drug? Like what what is kind of yeah. physiologically happening? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we've been doing a couple of studies that have included fMRI, and we're still learning about the exact mechanism of action, but... One of the activities that's happening in the brain is that MDMA reduces activity in the amygdala, which is the fear response center, um, and it works on the receptors of serotonin and um, you know different brain chemicals that produce emotion and regulate fear. And so somebody is able to meet their trauma in a way that doesn't induce the same level of anxiety as if the trauma was actually going to happen. So. One of the common symptoms of PTSD is flashbacks, where people are having experiences of their trauma, which could be images, sounds, or physical feelings that feel as though the trauma was happening again. And of course, they weren't safe when the trauma did happen, and having a flashback feels like they're not safe again. And that can be a repeated, ongoing process somebody with trauma is dealing with. However, with the effect of MDMA in the brain and in the body, a person's able, able to revisit those physical feelings, those memories in a way that doesn't feel as though that allows them to feel safe doing it. So it kind of eliminates that fear response. And at Mm -hmm. that particular moment, it kind of removes that fear response. So you'll enter um, the traumatic experience with a sense of like calmness or comfort. Is that? Yeah. (laughs) There's kind of that on a physical and physiologic level. However, Fear definitely comes up in the session, and some of the sessions are incredibly intense or cathartic. There can be screaming, there can be a lot of somatic movement, kicking, energy, and we really encourage that, actually, that that's the trauma coming out to actually be processed in a full and complete way. And, you know, as as therapists in the room, we aren't prompting particular agenda items, and people say, well, don't you want to get them to talk about the trauma? We've pretty much never had the case that we're in a therapy session and somebody isn't talking about the Did trauma because yeah. they're there to do trauma therapy. And 
So we've focused, you know, we've already done all the preparation that's really focused on this is the piece that you're working with. And the therapists help keep the person on track and stay engaged with the process. They say that much of the trauma can be gets held in the body mm-hmm. in, in a sense of like tension and like tightness. Um, in my experience with the drug and back in the 90s was that um, it kind of eases that tension. It kind of relaxes the, the physical body and also promotes um, like a, a level of self-compassion and kind of self-reflection. So like those two things in combination with like taking that step to address the trauma, look at the trauma. Um, I could, I could see the benefits in that process just because of those two things, just because of, of the, the, the easing of the tension in my body and the kind of level of of self-compassion that's kind of generated through the drug. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're exactly right. Some of the psychological effects are feelings of empathy towards oneself and others. And putting trauma aside even, just all of us, many of us seem to grapple with self-hatred and self-loathing and and that feeling of empathy that I can actually accept myself for who I am and a feeling of empathy towards others. um, That's one of the effects. And then just a general openness and an ability to access emotions. And one of the things that the human psyche can do in response to trauma is shut down. It's a survival mechanism. The trauma wasn't safe, and what needed to happen in that moment was just survival, and so feelings um, weren't allowed to be processed to some extent. And and what MDMA does is brings often those feelings to the surface, and it's not just the MDMA. It's really the whole setting that we create this whole room. We have eight hours. We have plenty of time to get to the material and to feel feelings and to not feel rushed that our 50-minute session is about to end. Um, and that's also the benefit of the two therapists is they'll have different skills that they play off of each other and that the participant will relate to each of them in different ways, might feel closer to one or the other and be able to access feelings in a different way because of that. You mentioned the entire process is a three to four month process. How many mm-hmm. how many sessions are the, the clients actually mm-hmm. taking the drug? Yeah. So after those three 90-minute preparatory visits, there's basically three cycles. So there's three MDMA assisted psychotherapy sessions in all and after each mdma assisted psychotherapy session there are three integrative visits so integration and that's often where a lot of the work actually happens is in the days and weeks after an mdma session and so like i said after every mdma session there's three integration and the first one is the very next morning so in our phase three and two clinical trials we have people stay the night at the study site and they're monitored by a night attendant and the therapists are on call. And then the therapists return in the morning and they do that first integration visit. Um, and then they have several more before the next MDMA session. Um, looking at it from like one thing that everyone's going to bring up is looking at it from like the financial point of view. Like, mm-hmm. are, is there any resistance from insurance companies from like, for like the amount of time you're talking eight, however many mm-hmm. eight, eight hour sessions, two therapists having to be in the room at a time, like the financial implications, yeah. insurance yeah. companies, people like that resisting this type yeah. of yeah. modality. We're actually glad that we get this challenging question at this point because 
the research hadn't been far enough along before that we, this was even a question for us to conceive. So it's nice to think about, okay, yeah, yeah, it's going to become, <laughs> it's likely to become a legal treatment. So how are people going to pay for it? Yeah. Um, which is a really, really important question. And so we have been working with people in various health insurance and reimbursement industries to really get insight on on how this would work. It would likely involve creating a whole new billing code for this treatment. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about two therapists for an individual session is pretty rare. You're talking about an eight-hour therapy session. That's very rare. Um, and, and so we're working on that. It's a multi-year effort to get to that point. And there's some strategies about, about it. And, you know, some of the decisions that go on for an insurance company we've been told are they're looking at comorbid disorders or their other ailments that go along with PTSD that people are also seeing improvement on such as sleep or nutrition Um, and so we've had different we had the Pittsburgh sleep quality index as one of our study measures and saw that sleep improved through the course of treatment and so it's looking at all those other variables there's almost 30 study measures in our protocols so it's a lot um, so that's one thing. And the other thing, too, is looking at over the course of time. So many people with trauma are in and out of treatment or they're in talk therapy treatments that go on for a long time. And they're taking different kinds of um, medicines to varying effects and usually, you know, indefinitely. And so it's really looking at using this as a potential cure for PTSD, which we try to avoid saying that too much as a research company. I don't know. When you said three quarters of participants no longer yeah. um, meet the criteria for PTSD, yeah. I think you're getting close. Yeah. And so, you know, we're really hopeful. And, and that's the importance of the phase three trials as we have a bigger study to really see, um, does this really seem to hold true in larger and larger populations? And we'll see. We're very excited. How far along are the phase three trials? They just started. They just started. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the first um, couple of MDMA or the first couple of experimental sessions in phase three have just happened in the last few weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's super exciting. Yeah. Um, what what is what is the next step? Like how long will the phase three trials take? And like what's your target rollout and launch? I mean, you're here training therapists so that when it is available, you can kind of. Yeah. So I just briefly mentioned the Expanded Access FDA program. So that's a program in addition to the phases I mentioned, phase one, two, three, four of clinical research. And Expanded Access runs in parallel to phase three, which now we're running. And it's really a program to provide treatments for life-threatening conditions. So people with PTSD have an incredibly high risk of suicide the latest rate for veterans in particular is 22 veterans a day commit suicide. We know there are many different populations that have incredibly high rates of suicide. And so to do something diligently about that, um, the FDA has this program so that if a drug or a treatment is seen to have pretty good effect, safety and efficacy from their previous trials in phase two, that there could be a strong case for making it available through expanded access. And it's kind of an ethical obligation. Mm-hmm. If if you if we have something available in the world that we have reason to believe could be effective for somebody who is really suffering with a life-threatening disorder, um, why wouldn't we make that available to them? And so we have submitted our expanded access protocol in mid-January. We've gotten some comments back from FDA, and we're working with them to move the protocol forward. And 
we're anticipating approval. We'll hear back in the coming weeks. Um, and so part of this training is really in hopes that that program will become approved. And then we will need many sites to be able to treat all of the patients that would come through expanded access. Yeah. Um, what else is on the horizon? Are they looking at MDMA specifically for other uh, mental health disorders? Yeah. Are they? Is there other psychedelics that are on the horizon? Is this this potential approval going to open up the access to take a look at some of these other drugs that are out there that we could benefit from? Yeah, we hope so. We think so. So there is work by other organizations, Hefter Research Institute, USONA, many organiz several organizations are doing work with psychedelic substances. And um, Hefter Research Institute has been working with psilocybin mushrooms for many years. And um, they've been working with treatment-resistant depression amongst several other conditions and are also preparing for phase three trials. So we're in kind of a parallel process with MDMA and mm -hmm. psilocybin. Um, MAPS has done observational studies with ayahuasca um, and ibogaine for opiate addiction. Um, there have been studies with LSD and the Beckley Foundation is working with LSD research for depression. So there are many different um, kind of small studies that have happened that really those published results lead us to believe that larger studies could be done with other substances for other conditions and have good effects. Um, MAPS is really focused on this particular treatment for post-traumatic stress as a way to move forward and really focus our efforts to get to this point, which in and of itself has taken a lot, but uh, there's a lot more work that can be done after this is made into a legal treatment. Yeah. What, um, in your professional opinion, why do you think that's, why do you think that trauma and PTSD is such, um, has such an impact on just our lives in general these days like why what is it about the way that individuals experience these traumatic ex events and don't don't possess the ability to cope with them in healthy ways like why why now all of a sudden yeah. do we see such a such a um, impact from PTSD yeah yeah good question think a lot of things I think one is maybe a hopeful approach to this question is that we're getting better about talking about mental health and so the suffering that people have maybe maybe always been experiencing is finally coming to light and not so silent of course that's not true everywhere but it's starting to happen um, I think one of the things that happens a lot with trauma and with many with mental health in general is just hopelessness um, depression, possibly with addiction, and and just generally when people in a culture are feeling hopeless, we're experiencing more problems with mental health, more suicides, more substance use disorder. And I think it's really from a cultural and collective perspective looking at why are we feeling hopeless right now and how can we address that? And so my aim is you know, first of all, to the participant and the client that's sitting in front of me. But when I'm working with an individual, I'm really feeling the collective benefit that what we're working on is fostering hope mm -hmm. in a society. And we get a lot, a lot of emails and phone calls from people who don't feel very hopeful. 
who in fact feel very desperate. And we take that really seriously, but it's also sometimes overwhelming to get you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands, and you get worried about these people that you don't even know. And luckily, you know, one of the response in this research, even just knowing that this is being researched can be hopeful for somebody. Creates a level of hope for them, yeah. just knowing that you guys are working on it. And it's yeah. gotten to the point where it is yeah. today. And, you know, and if they've tried other treatments that haven't been effective and they've been told, well, we've tried everything we have by their doctor or their therapist, it's kind of like, what do you do with that? And to know that there's people that are working, there's many people outside of, you know, many researchers, many different treatments that are on the horizon that people are working on. And we're not giving up. We're not accepting that this, oh, well, there's a certain percentage that just won't receive treatment. Um, but I like to think of it even beyond like diagnosis and treatment, but really as a collective healing. Yeah. Um, what is the what is the training sessions like for the therapist? What could if somebody catches our podcast and contacts maps, what can mm -hmm. they expect from a training session? Yeah, the training program is a five part program. We try to balance you know, meeting people and their busy schedules and wanting to have more trained therapists so that we can reach more patients who need help. Um, but we also have, you know, an ethical obligation to really have a comprehensive training. So at this point, the training is a five-point program with an online course. And then what's happening downstairs right now is our training retreat, which is a week-long retreat, which is has some similarity to the MDMA experience itself. It's a long time, seven, you know, six and a half days together. We have long training sessions. Um, it's a lot of sitting. We're watching and talking about trauma all day long. Um, but we're coming as, you know, trauma therapists and people working with trauma and we're processing it together. And so we share a lot of case presentations. We share videos and stories from participants that we've worked with and have their consent to share that for the purpose of training. And that's really powerful, actually, just for people to see what this looks like, because we can talk about the different elements about the co-therapy team and how to provide safety and support for a participant working with the inner healing intelligence. However, it's kind of hard for somebody to conceptualize what this work looks like without being there. Mm -hmm. And so the videos really help us tell that story. And we get to see the healing stories of some of the people who've come through the study and have been willing to share their life with us. So that's the part B retreat. Um, and then what comes after that is a practicum where somebody actually comes to one of our training sites and works on an MDMA session with an experienced MDMA therapist. And then um, we actually have a, a study where we're able to bring therapists in the training if they choose to volunteer to come and actually be a participant and receive the treatment. And that's been a what, really valuable part yeah. of our training. What are, the, what are those testimonies like? Yeah, they're amazing. We, we've actually created some measures around the impact that has on professional work. So many psychotherapy programs, m most of them, mine, mine in requires a certain amount of personal psychotherapy. Yeah. Makes sense. You would want yeah. your therapist to have that's all we do in class. That's all we do in class all day. Like, like yeah. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Role playing. Yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So giving people really that option to have their own personal work, because mm -hmm. as a therapist, we really need to be in integrity and do our personal work to be able to show up for somebody else in this way. 
um, but also to have you know a professional understanding of how this work happens and to receive that from an expert, you know, a very experienced therapist. Um, and what we hear from people is amazing. They'll go back and they they'll just go back to their normal clinical practice where they're doing 50 minute hours and they're like. My work this week was amazing. I was a much better therapist. My clients even said, hey, something seems different about you. And wow. I kind of giggled and um, just more connected to optimism, more clarity, um, more inspiration, feeling grounded. Um, but also sometimes the sessions can be really challenging and we have to make room for anything that can come up and we don't know what's going to come up in a session. So we're just prepared and that's part of why the integration is so important for the study participants and for our therapists is how are we integrating these medicine experiences into our lives because they can't just live and die all in one day. They, they need to be integrated into our lives. And even though we only do three MDMA sessions in the research protocol, um, people are having lasting effects and it, it's really about how they work with what comes up in the days and weeks and months and years and decades mm -hmm. afterwards. You mentioned that the original um, work and kind of research was being done with couples. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Decades ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, do you see that being something, an avenue that, because PTSD tends to, and the symptoms tend to like affect the whole family. Yeah. You know, oh, so yeah. do you see that being something that is pursued down the road is like bringing in the couples and working with them simultaneously through this type of treatment? Yeah, actually, MAPS just finished a study um, a couple months ago now that was led by Annie and Michael Mithoffer, Candace Monson and Ann Wagner. And it was a cognitive behavioral conjoint study. So basically, it was a couple study. And um, the person the the primary participant had a diagnosis of PTSD, and then they would bring in somebody else that was either their spouse or a close family member um, or just a close loved one who has been impacted by their loved one's PTSD because we know that people aren't isolated bubbles. We're in families and relationships and communities. And so that was really powerful work. We're analyzing the data so that we can publish it, but... Um, yeah, <laughs> we're going back to the roots. And, and so some of those smaller phase two trials like that would be able to have published data so that if MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD is approved, that clinicians can work off-label with some of these other ways of working, such as with couples work. We also did phase two trials with social anxiety in autistic adults. Okay. And then I worked on a study for anxiety um, due to life-threatening illness, mostly with people who are overcoming a cancer yes. diagnosis. Um, and so those small studies now are, are being published so that we have scientific research to base off-label use on later. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's how yeah. the times have changed, huh? Yeah. Like, yeah. you think, what, 30, a little over 30 years ago when Rick started all this, that we would be <laughs> where we are today and, like, not just – um, working with the FDA throughout this process, but like, I mean, from what I've heard you say, this is like an international launch, right? Like when, as it's, yeah. as yeah. It, you get the approval, you've picked these target cities that you're going to be opening up and even overseas, like it's kind of like a wave that's. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. We've had 
directors of the Ministry of Health. We've had army sergeants. We've had police officers come to our training and come to our studies. Um, we just did a training last month in Israel, and five more sites are going to be working there on a potential open access protocol. The Ministry of Health funded much of the training. Um, and there's a, a study in the works for conflict resolution with Israelis and Palestinians wow. using either MDMA or psilocybin. There's just so much beautiful work. There's people downstairs being trained to develop an eating disorder protocol around MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. Um, there's a lot. And yeah, it's great to see Rick's face because he's put so much time into it and see his face about just how many people are involved and all the different kinds of people from like, I mean, we've had babies sometimes, you know, come to our training breaks and he thinks, oh, this is this is a future psychedelic yeah, researcher. Yeah. And then we have people, you know, at, at the head of, of defense departments come and these the times have changed. Let's talk a little bit about resistance. Yeah. And like, you know, because I think that here in Asheville, I don't know that you might, I think that, you know, I think it will um, be well received, you know, in this particular community. But where I come from, 50 miles west, it's as rural as it gets. And just like me... Um, me initiating these conversations like in the classroom and various circles that I run um, there's a lot of questions there's a lot of uh, uncertainty yeah. behind all of this so like how do you um, how do you have that conversation with somebody yeah. that is that's on the fence about yeah. the the intentions of the work that you guys are doing. And yeah. Yeah. Well, each person has to come to their own decision yeah, about yeah, this yeah. work for sure. And we actually really appreciate it with, when people come with skepticism because um, we don't like to be surrounded only by people that think like mm -hmm. us. Um, it gets us to really think about the core of this work. And, um, you know, one easy conversation piece is the published research because science really allows us to cut across you know, many of the different differences that we have, different belief systems that we have. And the science allows us to get at, okay, show me really, is this working? Not just you like psychedelics and so you're all for this. Um, and so that's another thing about this growth um, that we were just talking about a moment ago that the times have changed is people who have come out as skeptic skeptics are now reading the research and actually showing up to our training programs. And we're, we're seeing that happen throughout the course of the week and throughout the course of the protocols. So just kind of looking at the research papers and saying this is the effect that they're having and being really honest about where we're at. It's only been studied in small phase two trials. We're going to learn a lot more with the phase three trials with a bigger sample size. We can't predict what's going to happen in phase three. Um, and it's kind of like our staff has had to remain so hopeful and optimistic. And I mean, Rick, Definitely for a long does. time. Yeah. For a very long time. Uh -huh. There's no way you work on something for 30 plus years and not be optimistic about it. And he and we appreciate that, you know, we don't we don't want people to drink the Kool-Aid. We don't want people to just blindly accept this treatment. It's really important. And it's similar, to, it has a parallel to the therapy. It's really important that it's guided by the person and that they come to their own conclusions about it. Um, yeah, I think... I think, too, talking about it's not just the drug. I think sometimes yeah. people think, you know, they've heard about MDMA, about ecstasy, and about 
holes in your brain and about raves and about all these different things. There's a lot of confusing information in the media. And part of it is the difference between street drug ecstasy that has lots of different things in it. We're not, you're not totally sure what's in it um, with, you know, medicine, medicinal grade MDMA used in research. But again, it's, it's not even just the substance. It's really the MDMA assisted psychotherapy and the therapy is a huge, huge piece of this too. And it's looking at the whole modality. MDMA just happens to be a tool that's allowing us to work with a person's inner healing intelligence. And to me, the inner healing intelligence is the healing piece. Yeah. Um, but you can't get FDA approval for inner yeah. healing intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, uh, where do you see yourself landing in all of this when the smoke settles and the thing's done what do you want to personally what does your involvement look like what do you personally have what are your goals what do you want to do yeah it's interesting being asked that question I ask myself that question a lot um because there's a part of it I once had um this message that um told me you don't get to know you just have to go and so I'm in this constant balance. I'm a planner. I like planning things. Um, and so I have some ideas, but there's also really this sense of who am I to know what my life is going to be like. And I just show up and say yes and um, try to stay connected with loving people and, and try to check that I'm in integrity and alignment with where I need to be. And if I had to guess where I might be, I, I would really love to share group space with people around healing whether or not that involves psychedelic substances um, but definitely around nature and just kind of slowing down and getting I like pulling way back and getting to the basics of who are we why are we on this planet what are we doing here and I'm I don't have those answers but I, I like engaging in that conversation with people and you know who are you what interests you what challenges you you started doing that as soon as i walked in the door yeah you know that right <laughs> yeah you do. yeah yeah just connecting with our humanity and that's why nature. i do this that's why i do the yeah. show just yeah to, to meet yeah interesting people like yourself and people who are doing um doing work that might not necessarily get the recognition um for all of their efforts and like really authentically getting to know who that person is and how do you see the world and like why do you yeah. see the world that way and yeah. All those things. And how beautiful to ask and be asked those questions. And it's really conveying you matter. Mm -hmm. I care about you and you matter. And it doesn't even matter if I know you. I know that that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> what What does your job consist of? Like, what do you do? The director of training, um, supervision, like, what does that mm -hmm. yeah. entail? What are your duties and responsibilities? Well, um, <laughs> if I listed them all out, we'd be here for a very long time, so I'll summarize. Um, basically, it's to make this training program function and to make sure that what we're producing are ethical, qualified, competent therapists that can conduct MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for trauma populations and for other populations, you know, in our other studies. Um, there's a lot that goes into that, and... We're, as I said earlier, we're constantly grappling with that balance between having a realistic program that's feasible and people can access it and they can take the time off of work that they need to do it. 
Um, but that we feel really good at the end of the day about saying, and you are ready. Um, we feel a huge obligation and responsibility to our study participants and to all the people out there in the world that at some point in the future will access this treatment through a MAPS protocol. And that's really who we're working for, um, whoever those people are. And so, you know, just my job is everything from budgets and spreadsheets to heartfelt communications to people who are going to make the commitment to go through this training program and talking about them about with them about their intentions, why they come to this work and, and what they're bringing to this work. Um, it's having individual conversations and it's also running, you know, an email newsletter with thousands and thousands of people who are really anxious and curious about how they can participate in expanded access and this treatment, which is amazing to be involved in work that is so good natured and about healing and that so many people are interested in. And, um, there's a lot of coordination that goes into it. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I thought was really cool is that, um, you guys are very transparent with all the research. Like you can go to maps.org yeah. and it's all right there. You don't yeah. have to have a access to some uh scholarly journals yeah. and things in, like in that fact, no usually it's there. we have to pay for that ability so that we can oh. make it freely available which we are absolutely happy to do yeah so like when i was asking you the questions about um overcoming some of those obstacles and look you, your response was to kind of check the research and kind of go over that it's all on your website yeah it's yeah. all accessible yeah yeah and I want to just circle back briefly because we talked about the five parts of the training. I mentioned a couple of them, but not the last. So the online course, the week retreat, which is happening downstairs, the practicum, um, and also the option to volunteer to receive the treatment. Um, and then there's a role play that gets videotaped. And then there's supervision, which is really important. So even after we say, okay, you've finished the primary parts of training and you can start treating your first patient, we really want to know how that's going. And so we have our supervisors really work alongside therapists to answer their questions and to give them feedback and to monitor, okay, is this, we, we think this person's great. They've been through the training. Is, is this person good for this treatment and are they providing good care? Um, so just to kind of wrap that loop yeah. up and yeah, there's tons of information on, on the maps website and the email newsletter and maps B Corp will be launching a new website shortly cool. as well. What's, um, What's the screening process like for the training for program? a client for a client? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, as I yeah mentioned, there's a medical and a psychiatric history screening. So we're just kind of collecting information about people and they're bringing in their records. Um, we talk with them about just what's going on in their life and in their history. We do blood work and we have a cardiology report. It's and MDMA has a stimulating effect, so it can increase heart rate and blood pressure. We want to make sure that that's not going to become an unsafe condition for somebody. So if they have a heart condition, we want to look really closely at that. Um, and then we do a physical, make sure they're healthy in other ways. Um, for the research protocols, they've been pretty limited in their focus because we want to be really clear about what exactly we're looking at. If we have too many variables going on, we, we can't really figure out what the results are related to. So we're, we're looking for clear cases of PTSD, and, and that gets measured through a, a measure called the clinician-administered PTSD scale, the CAPS. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, there's lots of measures we use, but that's the primary one that we've used for the phase two and three trials. So 
screening process is rigorous. It all starts with a phone call to the study coordinator at your local study site, and you can find which studies are near you at clinicaltrials.gov, where all clinical research is listed in the U.S., and if you search MDMA PTSD, this study will likely be the first <laughs> result that comes up. And then there's a link on the right-hand side that says locations and contact, and it has all of our sites listed. Um, so the study coordinator does a primary screening, and then we do the more thorough screening in person. Fantastic. Personal testimony? Did you take advantage of the No, option? I did not go to not the yet? therapist study. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely have personal experiences, I will yeah, say, yeah, on the record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but... I mean, just through, you know, my ongoing healing journey and in psychotherapy in general. Um, yeah, I can, yeah. I really connect with that creating hope and getting at the core of healing these parts of us that hate ourselves mm -hmm. and really wanting to breed love and working on that on so many different levels and, and personally and bringing that into the therapy and that being really a motivator for, for me in this work. Yeah. What about, um, is there any concern for the risk of, um, I, my experience tells me that just like from, from back in the day that like I've known individuals who did not receive psychedelics well and their life was forever changed afterwards yeah. like is there yeah the is there yeah. risks or concerns to like um a psychedelic experience whether it be mdma or psilocybin through a medical type um model is there concern for it to initiate other or influence other mm -hmm. mental health disorders that may not have been on, on the surface prior to it's a great taking question. the drug? It's a great question. Yeah, and a common question too. And not only new, would it bring up a new condition or, you know, another question is would it exasperate yeah. the existing condition? Mm -hmm. So um, through our work with the Zendo Project, which is a project... Go ahead and talk about that. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Zendo Project um, is a psychedelic harm reduction effort. And it's a project where we travel to different music festivals across the world and set up a beautiful sanctuary tent, um, beautiful, calm place with pillows and blankets. And if it's cold outside, there's heaters. If it's hot outside, there's fans. There's water, electrolytes, snacks, and tons of trained volunteers who do peer-to-peer -peer counseling. And um, that's one of the ways that we work with people who are having a challenging psychedelic experience because we talk about set and setting. And so set is really your mindset when a person goes into a psychedelic experience and are they psychologically prepared for what might happen? Um, and have they just gone through the loss of a loved one? Are they going through a breakup? Are they, um, you know, what what's going on in their mentality at that moment? It so, sounds like, like you're, the process of having three sessions prior to a dosage and having two therapists kind of covers all of those yeah. bases. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then setting is the, the environment within which the therapy, the experience is happening. And that could be, are there loud noises happening? What are the people around you doing or acting like 
what kinds of things are they saying? Um, is it an aesthetically pleasant setting? Are you comfortable? Are you warm enough? Some clubs in in the anti-rave act are actually not are are incentivized not to allow people to sit down in their club or to provide them free water or to lower the temperature in the club a couple of degrees because that they're afraid of the liability of being seen as endorsing drug behaviors when actually that could save people's lives. So um, um, Dee Dee Goldsmith is a mother who lost her young daughter in a club in New York a few years ago, and she's been really public about Amend the Rave Act as just one effort of ways that we can do really simple harm reduction strategies to keep people safe, to keep them alive, to keep them from having um, you know, psychological and psychiatric conditions arise by being in an unsafe or unprepared setting. setting. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the opioid epidemic displayed, presented to us the importance of a harm reduction model, right? Yeah. And so knowing what we know now just about the model itself, um, it's only obvious that uh, uh, an organization like the Zendo Projects is just so important for these music festivals or raves or whatever, yeah. um, whatever, yeah. whatever else yeah. is going on. And it's why we put so much work into the therapy. It's a lot of two people, tons yeah. of preparation and integration, a long session, usually an overnight stay. Like that's a lot. Um, and it's because we really, really want those eight hours to go well mm -hmm. and to be valuable and safe. Um, and we're finding that that's, holding true for the people who've been through our studies. Um, you mentioned the opioid epidemic. I touched on it just earlier, but one of the observational studies MAPS has conducted and other groups have as well is with Ibogaine, mm -hmm. um, which is a, an African psychoactive root plant um, that people have been using to actually treat their um, opiate addiction. And it's legal in Mexico and Canada, but it's a Schedule One substance in the U.S. So I think one of the hopes is that whether it's MAPS or another research organization, but as this psychedelic research moves forward, that there will be some real um, clinical research on on how the safety and the efficacy of how that could work for certain people. Yeah, it's just it's so wild that like um, there's so many restrictions to these substances that have been consumed for decades upon hundreds of years. Yeah. However, there's, I don't know, out of stigma, fear, whatever, we're restricted from each access to them, yeah. whether it's ibogaine or psilocybin or um, any of the psychedelics. Now, like me personally, I wouldn't, I don't have a whole lot of personal interest in um, using any of those drugs because I don't meet the criteria for the mental health disorders, mm -hmm. I have done a considerable amount of work through my daily meditation practice um, and through my program of refuge recovery to where I'm at like a really good, and through this podcast, yeah. I'm at a really good and stable place where like um, I don't necessarily have interest in it, but I see the value. I see the value in um, those individuals who have tried everything. And they're just unable to 
um, relief, get any relief, you know, like it's just gotta be like one of the most challenging parts of life to, to know, know what we're experiencing and not be able to get any relief when there are options out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you. I'm sure it's been a mix of hard work and it's something to celebrate. And, you know, I think we kind of view it as there are many different tools out there. There's many ways to get it healing and um, why not make all the options available? Yeah. Now, knowing what I know now about psychedelics, I wish I did know that (laughs) 10 years ago when I was using them because I would have probably used them in a healthy way that would have impacted my life in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and many people say about MDMA therapy, especially the participants who had been in talk therapy for many years and then come to this treatment. Wow, that did save me or that would have saved me many years Mm -hmm. of of the traditional therapies. Is there any concern about um, individuals completing completing the treatment and wanting more? Yeah. Um, So that's a major question that the FDA and DEA ask us to look into. And so we follow people. We ask that question when we do the long-term follow-up. And, you know, I don't have the exact numbers, but we've, so at this point, um, more than 107 people have participated in MDMA clinical trials. And it's either one or two people have reported um, using MDMA outside of the study after they participated. So still low. Less than yeah, 2%. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, people are going to yeah. Find and consume drugs yeah. regardless yeah. of what type of treatment they're receiving. So. Yeah. And in one of those cases, it was that even after the three sessions, they they were getting a lot of benefit, but they really felt like there was still Unfinished more business. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we'll be curious about what the regulations would be like if this gets approved, about whether people would be allowed to have additional sessions if that was needed for the healing. Yeah. When you when you guys complete the, the final phase of research and present it to the FDA for approval, is it going to be like super structured to where like, or is something like what you just described even an option? It's a good question. I think we'll find out then. There's really no precedent for for this in particular, but what we would hope for is maybe something like there's a lifetime maximum of five or 10 or 20. Who knows? There'd be a lifetime maximum of sessions. Obviously, we don't want people to abuse this. Mm -hmm. Um, And but given the context there, you know, there's easier ways to get MDMA than to come to 42 hours <laughs> yeah, of psychotherapy. Certainly. But um, but still, you know, we want to be mindful about really, you know, making the most of each session and using yeah. integration to, to pull that in. But some people do, will likely need more than three sessions. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to provide yeah, that. I hope so. Awesome. Well, Shannon, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I want to be mindful of you getting back downstairs and doing <laughs> what you got to do. Um Thanks for collecting stories and sharing them. And yes, it's so important. It Mm -hmm. really is to me, to my personal recovery, to our community, um, to have these conversations. It really is. I would love to um, do this again at some point. You know, as you guys continue to grow and continue to um, find out what the next step in the in the process is, I would love to have a follow up conversation with you. That would be great. Yeah. Awesome. I think there will be more trainings in Asheville <laughs> in the coming years and months. I would have a feeling that there probably <laughs> will be. Um, if somebody's interested, once again, how can they get involved? Yeah. Maps.org slash training. 
And if I could have a final sentiment, I would just say there's many ways of accessing and relating to our inner healing intelligence, that innate wisdom and ability to move towards healing and wholeness. And we all have that and we all can access it and you don't have to wait for MDMA to do it. Even right. if it might be helpful. That's right. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for your time, Shane. Thank you. You're awesome. So are you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast and a special thank you to Shannon Carlin who sat down with us today and squeezed us into her busy schedule. Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ncraw for early access to all of our podcasts and exclusive content behind the scenes videos every week going up on the Patreon page. Thanks for tuning in. Y'all have a wonderful day.